Got his cake batter all over my chin. Oh, no. no. Come on. Oh. Start where we mean to go on. That's your <laughs> That's beginning. That's your beginning. That's your beginning there. Cake batter all, all over my chin. We're not getting better than that. Let's start the show. Welcome to another edition of Films on Trial. I'm Alex. I'm Gav. And I'm Dave. And this week we're putting on... Uh, oh shit, I forgot. <laughs> Spider-Man Far From Home. Is yes. it near home or is it far from home? Uh, it's not as easy as it looks, is it, Alex? <laughs> it's easier, Dave. Dave's turn. <laughs> Let's put Dave in. So I, I, know, I don't want the crown. <laughs> I'm good. So, as Alex said, we're putting the web-slinging multiversal superhero movie Spider-Man No Way Home on trial. Is it web block or is it a sticky, sweet release? Where a Dave, star- Dave <laughs> like, you can judge now who's better. Yeah, I'm pointing to Alex at this point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but what we're going to do is essentially find out if the film will be placed on our esteemed hit list or our steaming shit list. Now, before we continue, our last film on trial was West Side Story. Joel judged that trial and deemed that it should be placed on the shit list. He's since gone away, probably not watched it, and he hasn't even bothered pitching up to tell us whether he made the right call or not. Probably because he's cowering in fear because he knows he made the wrong call. So I'll tell you what, between the three of us, shall we decide if he made the right call or not? Should we discuss it? Can we we guess what Joel would, uh, would think? I think that Joel would know that he made the wrong call, but would not enjoy West Side Story. Yeah, I definitely agree too. I Joel doesn't like musicals at all of the best of times. No, it's not his thing. And this is a real musical lover's musical. You know, there's lots of complex music in this. And I just I, I just don't think it would have been Joel's cup of tea at all, especially because it's quite an older musical as well. And I think if Joel would like a, a musical, it would probably be a more modern one with you know, 21st century film and techniques. Do you know that? Do you know what I mean? Though? The thing that holds it back, and I'm not saying it holds it back from being a good film, but it is held back by being a bit ludicrous, right? But, uh, I mean, that's one of the charms of the film itself. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I absolutely love it. I think it is amazing. It's not my favorite musical of all time, but it's. I think it's one of the best musicals of all which, time. Which is? Well, well, without a doubt, Les Misérables. I think it is the peak of art. <laughs> Wow. Well, really? let's definitely put that on trial some more soon. I, I, I mean the stage version of it, although I do really like the film version as well. Although, uh, yeah, it's. It, I mean, I've spoiled it now. If we ever do put it on trial, they're going to know exactly what I think, even if, I'm, even if I've got to prosecute it. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, and Dave, Dave, what do you think? Uh, agree or disagree? Uh, I strongly disagree. I think West Side Story should have been on the hit list. Like I said, it was my first time watching it, and I was just mesmerized. There came a point where it's just like, you know, I can see why this is so popular. Literally, it was it was an absolute tour de force, especially in the the technical aspects, you know, the direction, cinematography, lighting and things like that. You know, it was an absolute triumph. So, uh, no, wrong decision for me, but there you go. Oh, you win some, you lose some. And <laughs> I would know I've lost many. <laughs> now, on to the trial itself. All of the roles have been picked out of the hat at random. So acting in defense and trying to get this film placed on their hit list is a man who is as angry as the Green Goblin. It's me. But uh, whereas the Green Goblin looks like a near 70-year-old man but has the strength of a 30-year-old, I have the looks of a 30-year-old but the strength of a frail 70-year-old man. (laughs) (laughs) And acting in prosecution and trying to get this film placed on the shit list is a man who is just like Dr. Octopus. He's all hands. It's Dave. <laughs> I, I wondered where that was going, and I was disappointed. That's right. Don't ever get cornered by Dave at a Christmas party. <laughs> and uh, maybe, maybe, we don't know yet, but maybe joining Dave is a man who is as cold-blooded as the lizard and also can frequently be seen walking around completely bollock naked. It's Joel. <laughs> now... Just like real court advocates, the defense and prosecution will be making the best case for their roles. Now, these may or may not be their real opinions, though, so do stay tuned until the end of the episode to hear their genuine thoughts. 
Now, in the most important role of the show, and who has to decide if this film should be placed on the hit or shit list based solely on the arguments put to him, not using his own opinion, is a man who, just like Electro, has recently started wearing much, much nicer clothes. Oh. And it's a slippery slope from there, Alex, because you're soon going to be rocking up with Hollywood white teeth and a hair transplant. <laughs> <laughs> I <hope so>. I <laughs> anyway, it's, it's Alex. It's Alex. Now, uh, before we get started, I think that we should probably give the audience a bit of a better understanding as to what this film is all about. So let us spin the wheel of impressions. It's a long one, isn't it? Okay, so here what we do is read off the synopsis of the film in the style of one of the cast or characters from the film. This week it's landed on Dave. So how would we like Dave to read out the synopsis? I haven't seen it, Gav. It's going to be up to you. Okay, I, well, I think 100% definitely in the voice of Willem Dafoe. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Willem yes, Dafoe, please. the distinctive voice that yeah. I, well, I almost Dafoe. certainly <laughs> cannot impersonate. <laughs> Uh, okay, uh, Willem Dafoe, right? So I'm okay. doing the, the top one on IMDb, am I? Yes, yeah. please. Okay. Not the one that's about like 16 pages long. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to say, it's going to be a long episode. <laughs> With Spider-Man's identity now revealed, Peter asks Doctor Strange for help. When a spell goes wrong, dangerous foes from other worlds start to appear, forcing Peter to discover what it truly means to be Spider-Man. Oh my god, hey, Dave! That was very good. <laughs> Off the cuff, Willem Dafoe. That was amazing. Well done. You should be extreme. You should put that on your CV, Dave. <laughs> I can amazing. sound unhinged at the drop of a hat. <laughs> <laughs> it was like the mask just slipped for a minute there, Dave, and it finally we saw we saw what was underneath the monster within. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the monster within exactly. <laughs> Dave and I went to go and see Willem Dafoe live in in, in a theatre production. And it was him and Mikhail Baryshnikov in one of the most, oh, I don't know. I want to say. Pretentious, it sounded like. Yeah, yeah a little pretty bit. fucking pretentious <laughs> and absurd things I've ever seen in my life. There was about a 20 minute segment where Willem Dafoe and Mikhail Baryshnikov just sat on the stage and just went, tick, talk, tick, talk. <laughs> Tick. And that honestly, how long did it go on for? Dave? Oh, but easily 10, 15 minutes. No exaggeration. Honestly, it was ridiculous. That really tested my love of Willem Dafoe, I'll say that much. <laughs> Amazing. You must really fucking love him because nothing would yeah. be like it's like I said to Gav, look, we got we got tickets for free and we got to sit in a room with Willem Dafoe for two hours. Yeah, true. There's 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 the crux of the matter. I wouldn't <laughs> mind if he just spent that two hours throwing rocks at me, to be fair. I'd still probably appreciate it. <laughs> And just to say, obviously, this is going to include lots of spoilers, lots of them, <laughs> and we're going to discuss them in great detail. So if you haven't seen Spider-Man No Way Home yet, if you're looking forward to watching it and all of those spoilers and Easter eggs and teasers, please do not listen to this episode until you have watched the film. Okay, thank you very much, guys. Now, uh, yeah, without further hesitation, Alex, would you like to please kick off proceedings? Yes, I'm very excited to find out what's going on here because uh, the only thing I know about the film is that we have... Well, there was a lot of speculation about what the hell was going on with this film. And I knew that you had um, possibly Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield coming back. So it sounded very interesting. There was a lot of hype about it. And I'll be honest, I'm a bit worried that a Marvel film would have the guts to sort of go for something as strange as that. But knowing that Into the Spider-Verse was, I don't know, I'm very confused. So I'd like someone just to sort of give me what the hell is going on with this film first and how it fits into everything, especially in the Marvel world. So Gav, off you go. Yeah, thank you very much. So the film takes place one week after the conclusion of Spider-Man Far From Home. Alex, did you watch that one? I did think it was shit, so that's, <laughs> right, not, okay. that's not a good start at <laughs> right. all. It's better than that. I'm just saying where it starts off. It starts right, okay, like, but I'm just saying that's, that's a that massive, massive yeah. point against but it's, it. And it's honestly in the rear view mirror. It's too late. It's too late. Just get, just get on, Dab Cap. Just keep going. <laughs> so Mysterio's dead, and he's framed Spider-Man for his murder and revealed his true identity, Peter Parker, to the entire world. Now, Peter Parker, his girlfriend, MJ, his best friend, Ned, his aunt May and his unofficial guardian, Happy Hogan, are all interrogated by the police, but ultimately released without charges, thanks to the help of Matt Murdock, a.k.a. Daredevil, if you watch the TV show Daredevil. Oh, from a TV yeah, show. From the, with Charlie Cox reprising his role, which was very there nice to see. So from there, Parker, MJ and Ned 
return to high school, but their university applications to MIT and all other universities are rejected due to the recent controversies. Mm. So Peter decides to meet with Doctor Strange and asks him to cast a spell to make everybody forget that he is Spider-Man, which means life can go back to normal for him and his, you know, Mary Jane. Oh, sorry. Doesn't sound like him. he's going to go to plan. <laughs> well, <laughs> during the casting... Parker keeps changing the requirements of the spell, saying, oh, no, can this person still be included? And can this person still be included? And it causes the spell to become unstable. Strange has to then confine the spell to a protective box to prevent the multiverse from basically collapsing in on itself and leading to unpredictable and unprecedented consequences. I'm just going to so, take that all on faith because there's a lot, there's a lot of uh, what is there, but yeah, that's just, yeah. just going to write past that. We'll just keep on going, just keep on <laughs> yeah, going. Yeah, yeah. Listen, <laughs> this is going to be similar to the no time to die explanation. You're just going to have to stick with me, all right, yeah, man? Fat, no, get it. Yeah, we all know how that worked out, then. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, you. <laughs> so... But, uh, Peter has to go to plan B then, and he goes to plead with the MIT acceptance board to let MJ and Ned into the university. But on his way there, he's attacked by Dr. Octopus from Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 2 film. The two fight, Parker captures Doc Ock and transports him to Doctor Strange's Sanctum Al Santorium. Alfred Molina. Played by Alfred Molina, yeah. So, yeah, very, very interesting, yeah. Alex has lowered his glasses. <laughs> With Very interesting. Deep enthusiasm, yeah. You can't see because the camera's not can't is not below neck height, but I'm very interested. In <laughs> <laughs> Carry on. Well, okay, so he transports him to Doctor Strange's Sanctum Sanctorium, where the lizard from the amazing Spider-Man movie has also been captured. So Doctor Strange informs Peter. Yeah, okay, we'll move past that one. Yeah, let's <laughs> We'll move past that one quickly. I can see your enthusiasm has wings there. Wings. <laughs> your pants are more slack. <laughs> now, Doctor Strange informs Peter that multiple people who know Peter Parker's secret identity from multiple universes have all been pulled into this one, and that Peter Parker, well, our Spider-Man, is responsible for capturing them all. So he then has to capture Electro from Amazing Spider-Man 2 and the Sandman from Spider-Man 3. He then finds Norman Osborn, as played by Willem Dafoe in Sam Raimi's Spider-Man, at his aunt's homeless shelter. And he, along with Aunt May, beg Peter Parker to help cure him. So Spider-Man goes against Doctor Strange's wishes to send all the villains back to their universes and potentially killing them, and instead tries to start curing and saving them. Anyway, like it's all a ploy by the Green Goblin, who just wants his hands on some Stark technology. And he frees all the other villains, battles with Spider-Man, which results in Aunt May's death after she delivers the great power, great responsibility line, which is Wait, a perfect which, moment. Which Aunt May are we on? Marissa Tomei? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so Marissa Tomei. So, so this is all just the Spider-Man that we know and the Spider-Man universe. And when I'm talking about MJ, I'm talking about sure. Zendaya. Okay. Right. So Parker is absolutely outmanned. So Ned and MJ look for help in the form of Andrew Garfield and Tommy Maguire's Spider-Men. Now, all three spiders, yeah, it's right. Seeing them back on the screen is a fantastic feeling, I will just say. But And all three spideys battle the villains and then subsequently cure them. The spell that Strange had cast becomes more unstable, so Parker asks Strange to rectify it by casting a new spell that will mean everyone, even his loved ones, forget who he is, which also sends all the villains and everybody else back to their own universes. So at the end, he vows to find MJ and Ned and make them remember who he is, but then has second thoughts as he believes that they would all be safer and better off if they didn't know him after all. So the ending is basically Spider-Man returning to his lonely, humble roots with no support and no tech to, to, to potentially start a new chapter of his life. The end credits scene then also involves Tom Hardy's character, Venom slash Eddie Brock, getting a history lesson on the Avengers and Spider-Man from a bartender before being transported back to his own universe thanks to Doctor Strange's spell. However, we see that he's left behind a little bit of the Venom symbiote. So yeah, this is, as you said before, probably the most ambitious and complex, I'm not even MCU film, I'd say one of the most ambitious and complex movies of all time, essentially combining the stories, characters and arcs of three separate franchises spanning 20 years and it could have been a catastrophe, but it was handled with the utmost care and respect from all those involved, resulting in not just a brilliant standalone movie, 
but also the conclusion of Tom Holland's MCU slash Sony Spider-Man arc, or at least his first one anyway, and also several storylines and character arcs from both Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man franchises as well. It's packed with so much satisfying fan service, including new cameos and nods to popular culture, but it still has all of the humor, action, and heart that we've come to expect from an MCU 10-piece. It's exciting, it's fresh, it's bold, and it's brilliant, and without a doubt, it deserves to be on the hit list. I mean, David is sounding extremely balls to the wall, like to the point where the mm. balls are basically part of the wall. Like that is very ambitious. It's so much going on that Gav said a word, it's not a catastrophe. Is it a catastrophe? That's, it seems like it's got a serious potential here to be catastrophic. But I mean, you can't, can I not give it props just for being so ambitious? It, could, it didn't decide just to do something easy here, did it, Dave? I think it did. I think it's actually one of the least ambitious Spider-Man films we've seen in a long time. It's Gav used the term fan service, and that is essentially what this is. And this may, if you've if you've been watching since the Tobey Maguire days, this might give you a warm feeling inside. You now seeing Tobey Maguire return, even though he does look considerably older than we remember. Uh, well, it's been like nearly twenty years, to be fair. Oh, yeah, it has. It has. <laughs> he has aged, Dave. Let's not, <laughs> you know, let's not hold but that yeah, against But yeah, Alfred Molina. He's not a real Spider-Man. <laughs> but yeah, Alfred Molina and Willem Dafoe they digitally de-aged, so you know it was a choice. But um, yeah, it's all fan service, and you know that that's that's nice that they respect the fans enough to do it. But it's also a guaranteed cash cow. You know, if you say, you know, you start dropping hints and drip feeding the fans, Alfred Molina's coming back, Willem Dafoe's coming back, Andrew Garfield's coming back, Tommy Maguire's coming back. You start drip feeding these things into the ether, the fans are going to start uh, coming to go see your film. And and sure enough, this film will be a success because of the fan service. But essentially, all they've created is a walking meme machine, basically, you know, a sentient meme machine that just churns out these quotes and is is just littered with in-jokes throughout, which if you haven't seen any of the other Spider-Man films, don't start here. Whatever you do, you will be completely and utterly lost. As a standalone film, it will not work. You cannot watch this without having seen, I would say, at least one of the Andrew Garfields, at least one of the Tobey Maguire's, and probably the previous Tom Holland film as well. It is not a standalone film in any stretch. This is, as Gav said, the conclusion of these three character arcs. But that's all it is, and it is just paying fan service. It's it's masking fan service, like, oh, we've we've given this character a resolution. It's like, no, you haven't. You've just you've just paid lip service to the to the fans and given people, you know, what you think they want to see. And in some cases, it looks good on the tin. You know, you got these villains returning. I love Alfred Molina. I love Willem Dafoe. I thought they were great in the Spider-Man films. Exactly. Who doesn't? And, you know, I, I, I've got a soft spot for Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire. I like those guys. But the thing is, there's no substance here. All it is is an opportunity to get those people back on the screen with this jumbled, chaotic plot that doesn't actually make any sense because he spends the whole film trying to stop Doctor Strange from sending these villains back because Dafoe, Fox, and Molina were all plucked from their universes at the point of their death. Because like they say, when they're all when they're all captured, it's like uh, Jamie Foxx says, "Oh yeah, there was this surge of energy going through me. I felt like a god, and actually, I think I was dying." And Alfred Molina says, "I had my my machine in my hand, and it's just the moment before it blows up and he drowns." And they were plucked from the very moment of their deaths. So now he's trying to cure them, so they will go back to their universes to die. Basically, the curing them is is pointless it might serve a purpose for for sandman who actually at the end of spider-man 3 was not a bad guy he came he had his resolution he, he was dedicated to his daughter devoted to his daughter he wasn't a villain anymore at that point and yet here he is battling spider-man once again he didn't actually need curing i don't think he wasn't a threat uh reese fans his lizard yeah sure but he's barely in it and uh yeah so the, the three who curing them may have proved some benefit you then send them back to die and no one kind of mentions that it's like we're sending them back to the exact point of their death now that they are cured to die and no one this doesn't seem to dawn on anyone and if it was so simple as let's just cast another spell and make everybody forget why didn't we just do this earlier you never said there was an option b on the board when we were like when dr strange gets trapped in the mirror dimension because parker's trying to no no i want to cure them first you know before we kill them i want them to be good people that we that's not what he says he is trying to save them he is trying to <laughs> preserve them but yeah ultimately they just get sent back to their own time presumably to die 
So yeah, that was a huge gaping plot hole, especially when the theme, you know, people are saying, oh, this is the resolution. This is the, the arcs coming to an end. And it's kind of like, well, I, this isn't a very satisfying ending. Surely curing them and, and finding some other way for them to live or survive might have been more appropriate. But it doesn't really work in that way. So ultimately what you've got here is an overlong film. And dare I just say it's two and a half hours. Oof. And it has to be because there's so much going on. There's so many characters. But it's just what it's filled with is is unambitious. This is a safe bet as a film, to be honest with you. And ultimately, they've just rested on their laurels of getting these past actors back into the film. And they're just kind of letting it unravel. It's just like, that'll be enough. People, That'll be enough for people to go and see. We don't actually need a coherent plot. So I, I think, yeah, decidedly unambitious. And it looks good on the tin, no doubt. I saw the trailer and I thought this looks great. But unfortunately, once you crack that tin open, it's just full of mice. Mice. <laughs> mice. And it's not, and, and the tin doesn't say mice on it, Dave. No, it's it doesn't. Tin. It's paint. It's supposed to be tasty it's paint. It's supposed to be paint. And there's no tasty paint in there. It's just, just full of mice. I'm going to go with mice. Why not? Bloody mice. Bloody mice. Dead, get, I don't get imagine into dead paint. mice. If it, was a t- if it was a sealed tin, just dead mice. Yeah, if you've well, not mice, opened it within 10 minutes. must have got into open, there. And... <laughs> God, who would fill Sony, a painting? Sony with? put the mice in the tin. <laughs> who would do that? Sold Dave? it to us as paint. <laughs> knowing that God. when we'd open it, we'd just get either very unhappy or possibly dead mice. How can I, you, how, I'd how like can to you make defend a... dead mice in a tin gap, you sick <laughs> son of a bitch? I'd like to make a preemptive apology to Sony here. We're not implying that Sony <laughs> have ever put mice into a tin and sealed it, causing their death. No, we're uh, just sowing seeds and, you know, maybe some will take root. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I'm not, I'm not going to say that that there isn't a lot of fan service in this. I think there is, and that's not a bad thing. We had two Spider-Man franchises that had a mass amount of fans all over the world who absolutely loved the characters, loved the stories, and these stories were ultimately cancelled or cut far too soon, so we have no resolution there. This is fan service to pay off those two franchises and to close Tom Holland's first MCU character arc and i think you know it's fine to do some fan service once in a while especially if it's done very well which this is you know admittedly the multiverse and spell plot points could be a little confusing for first-time fans but that is caveated at the beginning by dr strange line of the multiverse is something that we know frighteningly frighteningly little about so sending the characters back to their universes could kill them but it also might send them back to the moment that they were pulled from their own timelines. Dave says that it's the moment just before death. I disagree. I actually think it's the moment when they actually realize that Peter Parker is Spider-Man because Alfred Molina's Dr. Ock says that he had his hands around Spider-Man's throat, which he didn't at the end of the film. He was actually drowning at the end of the film. He is pulled from a time where he's bitterly against spider-man he's he's angry that spider-man killed uh, his his machine or destroyed his machine which what didn't happen at the end of the film he actually comes to terms with it and he sacrifices himself so i think that they're actually pulled from the time that they find out that peter parker is spider-man which would link into the spell about people knowing peter parker's real identity so actually curing them sending them back to their original timelines could mean that they get sent back to that moment and then that's their character resolved admittedly isn't completely laid out it's not paint by numbers it's just something that we have to assume but it also leaves the door open for further exploration into these other franchises if we want to i mean i think it's quite good to leave it as it is because i think everything's tied up quite nice and nice little package but there is the option there if they wanted to sony could then go and do another amazing spider-man film or a fourth sam raimi spider-man film there is a possibility Okay, just moving away from the plot of the, you know, the spells and the plot points and stuff like that. Just moving on to what you said, Gav, that there is a payoff here. Can you just explain quickly, and then maybe, Dave, you can just go come back on this. Mm -hmm. How do they, because I would love to see Tobey Maguire in this film, right? But I want to see a substantive, I want to see it paid off. I'd I'd rather Tobey Maguire not be in the film than just do, like, a lip service. No substance. Dave did Mm -hmm. put a shiver of doubt in me on that. Like, this is just lip service. Get the fans in. And then, you know, whatever, you can do just some whatever nonsense. Like, how is it properly paid off? 
So the film ties up the loose ends within the previous two Spider-Man franchises because both heroes get a chance to try again and save the villains from their respective films. Because if you actually remember the films, yeah, they yeah. don't want to kill the villains. They no, want yeah. to, you yeah, know, yeah, sure. they Got were it. all friends. Yeah. Or, you know, they, they respected these scientists or they were friends of them or they had a close connection to them and they were trying to help them. So they get the chance to do that and they succeed. The villains get a chance of redemption as well. And both of the heroes get a chance to open up open up about their own struggles, come to terms with their losses and accept their responsibility as a superhero. And even Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man has the opportunity to save MJ from an identical situation that he couldn't save Gwen Stacy from in one of the most heartwarming scenes of the entire film. So that, that, that's how it pays them service. It's not just a case of, oh, let's get them in. It's actually a case to tie up their stories. Dave, that does sound like there's substance to it. Some, some. I did like the Andrew Garfield arc. I did, but unfortunately, it is all just you know. Talk about in fact, some fan service is a good thing. Of course, it is. Everyone loves an Easter egg. This film is all egg. This is just one <laughs> giant Easter egg. Boy, and and before you, that. before go you with... say everyone likes Easter, this egg is also filled with mice. Okay? Mice, yeah, <laughs> there's mice in the egg mice. As well. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's nice to have a little fan service, yeah, but you can't charge people a cinema ticket and make them sit through two and a half hours of nothing but fans are you know just because one person like this part of a film or this part of the story of a film doesn't mean another fan will that's probably why it's two and a half hours they're trying to include something for all these various fans and there's going to be some people left out you can't please everybody mm-hmm. and you know there are elements of the story which like you may think oh yeah i'm pleased we got a resolution to that the andrew garfield saving mj get you yeah, that is nice to see his redemption there. There's other bits that were like tied up in a nice little package. They, those loose ends were tied. They have just untied them and tried to fix them back together. And that knot doesn't look quite as secure to me. I think we're going to see sequels. I think we're going to see these characters coming back. Like I, I bring you back to Sandman, Thomas Hayden Church's character. He had his arc in Spider-Man 3. We may not have liked Spider-Man 3, but his character was... I dark. liked Spider-Man 3. No, one, no, you didn't. You, you convinced yourself over two episodes that you did, but you don't really. Yeah, yeah. that, that character was done and dusted, or dust, done and sanded, whatever. <laughs> when you do sand and Dave, it does create a lot of dust. It does, it does create a lot of dust. I'll give you that one. See, I don't know why they brought him back, only for him to become a villain again. It's like, no, this. Did, mm, I'm not sure about this. He's, he's trying to get back to his daughter. I know what Gav's going to say. He's trying to get back to his daughter, which is true with his character. But to go up against the Spider-Man or Spider-Men, you know, whatever it may be, <laughs> just to try and battle and try and get back to his daughter. When if he just sat and waited patiently and worked with them, he'd probably get back quicker. Just doesn't sit right with me. I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't think they've done that character any favors here. No, but the thing is, is that like he's also getting cured as well. I mean, although his, his story arc, you might say, was resolved in Spider-Man 3, he, he was still a big mo- a big heap of sand, you know. So although he can have a good time with his daughter at the beach if she wants to build a sandcastle. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's it's not going to be great gonna... if she wants to go to a water park. That's all I'm saying. No. So, so, and, and the, the thing is, is here he, he, he's frightened because he's pulled from his own universe. He's in this strange, unfamiliar territory. He originally does start helping Spider-Man. But when he sees this box and he hears about this spell and that Spider-Man is sending people to, you know, he gets confused and angry and he tries to escape and that's why he is fighting the spider-man is because he's easily manipulated by doc ock and electro into fighting spider-man because he's he's scared he's afraid he doesn't want to die he's not the brightest villain in the bunch really is he exactly no, but there he's not go. stupid either you know let's, let's give the man a little credit here all right just just to say come away from the film specifically how about like any the mcu so you know we talk about this with the other franchises but essentially, this is still most people watching it, especially the young children, right, would be watching this as kind of an MCU Spider Man mm-hmm. film. So, where are we fitting in with that? The overall story is a familiar one for Spider Man, but one that hasn't actually been explored yet in this iteration of the character. The struggles of identity, balancing his superhero and real life identities, and also the struggles of being a superhero as well, and knowing that with great powers come, you get it, great responsibility. So one of the criticisms of Spider-Man's character within the MCU so far is that it's been changed somewhat. You know, we're introduced to him already as an active superhero, avoiding the origin story, probably because Marvel and Sony thought that it had already been explored multiple times. Well, they but, just wanted to get it ready for the film, didn't they? Going, but yeah, right. they just wanted 
just but shoot him in there. Just get going, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but Spider-Man's origin is a fundamental reason for why he is who he is. Spider-Man hadn't, or appears that he hadn't anyway, experienced a great loss and especially not been responsible for it. You know, he was awkward, but it wasn't like too awkward. He was quite confident. He had friends. He was included in a superhero team in the Avengers at the end of his first solo film. And he'd even gone to space and fought aliens. You know, this is a big difference from the humble beginnings that we're used to seeing. But slowly the MCU has been rectifying this, starting with showing the impact of the death of Tony Stark in Far From Home and then continuing it with this story in, in this film. The character really struggles with his dual identity. He tries everything he can to have it all and be happy in both identities, but his actions have major consequences, as by unleashing the Green Goblin within this universe, he is indirectly responsible for the death of his Aunt May, and also for putting MJ and Ned in direct harm. So, at the end of the film, he eventually comes to the conclusion that it's impossible to be happy uh, as both Spider-Man and as Peter Parker, and he must sacrifice one of his identities. And because he has great power and that he has even greater responsibilities, he decides that saving and helping people as Spider-Man is far more important than being happy and in love as Peter Parker. Yeah, I mentioned about the film tying up lots of the other franchises that we spoke about before, but it also ties up Tom Holland's trilogy and puts the character in a familiar position that fans are used to seeing. A broke, struggling, humble, and even lonely superhero He's spared on by his willingness to be a hero and also the loss of a loved one. And, you know, he doesn't have Tony Stark's technology to fall back on. He's all on his own. He's even got to make his own suit, like we're used to seeing as well. The conclusion of this story as well not only sets up events for Doctor Strange 2, tying into the, well, essentially he's got to tidy up the mess that he's caused in the multiverse. It also sets up a new Spider-Man film or even a new series of films with the introduction of the Venom symbiote. And it also potentially sets up further adaptations, as I said before, of Maguire and Garfield's Spider-Man. But even if it doesn't, the film provides more than satisfying conclusions for their characters, which fans have been clambering for for years. So it sort of hits a lot of the Spider-Man notes, Dave, and it's, you know, it's a rich vein that it's setting itself up. You know, this is essentially setting itself up as a franchise, right? So it's not going to squander its opportunities well what's wrong with that let's let's let marvel and disney make some books dave you know yeah oh they are doing and sony as well you know they're all cashing in on this one it's already a big franchise it's already part of the mcu the sony universe is is kind of is chugging along quite casually at its own pace you know it's doing pretty well though so everyone's doing fine with this of course they're going to keep spider-man going marvel films since captain america have been setting up the next marvel film or the next two or the next three marvel films they're constantly keeping their franchise going and you know what they're making money why shouldn't they do that but i don't think it's necessarily a good thing in terms of whether the film is any good sure it's playing the business game doesn't necessarily mean that what you're watching can all necessarily be that enjoyable sometimes there's too much going on and I feel that's what this film, you know, even from the trailer, we knew that there's going to be a lot going on here. A lot of characters, a lot of things going on, a lot of new villains, you know, all of, sorry, a lot of old villains, a lot of old Spider-Man coming back as well. And it's just, it's very haphazard and very convoluted. And what you may think you're going to get isn't necessarily what, what, you, what the final thing is. Again, egg with mice. When you... <laughs> When you watch the trailer, you think you're going to be in for a huge action action sequence. Of course, the trailer includes the most exciting bits: the battle on the on the freeway with Doctor Octopus. You know, the the uh, the three Spider-Man. Well, you only saw one in the trailer, bearing down on on the Sandman, and Lizard, and Electro. The thing is, though, it's actually not that much action in it. There's those few bits, and there's another fight in in uh, Happy's apartment, um, and there's a couple of fight scenes along the way. There's a brief one with Electro, but largely. It's a lot of the villains, like in a, in their little cells in in Doctor Strange's basement, chatting with each other and and providing in jokes. And you basically just feel like Sony just keep on nudging you and winking at you as you're trying to watch the film. And, and Marvel are doing the same thing from the other side and just being jostled <laughs> by these two huge juggernauts of <laughs> motion picture distributors. Just like, do you remember that? Do you remember when uh, when Electro did that? Do you remember when Dr. Octopus said that? Do you remember, do you remember this bit? Do you remember that? It's like, get off me. All right. I'm just trying to watch the film at this point. <laughs> and you got that bit where they're just in cells and these villains, which seemed so threatening back in the day. 
you know, Dr. Octopus, I remember Alfred Molina's portrayal was was really compelling. You know, the guy was intense. He was scary. Same with Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin. Now, the, in the, the typical way of uh, MCU, very, there's a lot of humor in the film. And it's very lighthearted. And they're kind of joking with each other. You know, they're all in the cells and they're all becoming pally and they're all having a laugh and they're all cracking jokes with Peter Parker and he's cracking jokes back and they're all having a good time. And then they go all go to Happy's apartment together to go get cured and they're all sat on the couch having a chat again and reminiscing about the old days. And it's just, you know what? This is just a giant Zoom call. This is just basically the cast of the pre of the previous Spider-Man incarnations having a Zoom chat together and reminiscing about old times. That's essentially what this has become. And then, of course, you get the Spider-Man coming back. And you got Garfield, Maguire, and Holland again, all nudging you. There's then Sony and Disney getting in on it, and, M- and Marvel, and everyone's reminding you, "Oh, do you remember when this happened? Do you remember when this happened? Do you remember when that?" I was like, "Yeah, it was a better film. Stop reminding me of it." Mm-hmm. And it just gets to the point where it's too much. You know, there's fan service, and then there's this. It just goes too far. That is quite compelling, Gav, especially because, like, yeah, all of that stuff you were talking about before is very good. All of the linking in, you know. But what about the action? Tell me about some action set pieces, especially because it's a Spider-Man film. I do want to, you know, going on a freeway and stuff like that. But are we in New York? Are we flitting around the buildings? What, what yeah. you know? Well, I mean, the f- firstly, I do believe that this film does provide a lot of fan service, but I do genuinely think it can be enjoyed by anybody. But let's not forget, this is mainly a film for the fans, whether they be of the comics, MCU in general, or any Spider-Man franchise. This is for the fans, and like other MCU films, it's not just solely an action film. It's not a case that you tune into this film because you know it's going to be a lot of action. You tune into this because you know it's going to be packed full of humor, action, dialogue, and a story that will appease and even arouse some fans. Appease <laughs> and arouse. That yeah, is what I want from my a cinematic experience. I want to be appeased. And I, don't we all, Alex? Don't we all? But also, you know, just like the other MCU films, include setups or teasers to new or old villains and franchises, as well just being a thoroughly enjoyable standalone film by itself. But if we're talking about specific action, I think that this does have a lot of good action. But as I said before, it's there's more to it. When you think about Spider-Man: Homecoming. Tell me the action scenes of that. Once again, it's probably the same amount as this film. I don't think this has more or less than the one um, than Homecoming. There's the freeway scene with Doc Ock, as, as Dave mentioned before, which I think is really brilliant. And it's actually the first time the Doctor Octopus's arms were wholly CGI and not using some sort of puppetry. And it's actually flawless. You, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference, really. Then there's a mirror world battle with Doctor Strange. So both Doctor Strange and Spider-Man fight for this for the box that has the spell cast in it because Doctor Strange says, oh, all I can do is press this button and everybody dies. And Peter Parker, as Spider-Man, thinks it's his mission now to cure the villains before sending them back. He's trying to get the box off Doctor Strange. So the two of them fight and they go to this mirror world because Spider-Man is keeps on getting away and Doctor Strange wants to be able to basically defeat him within his, within his own world. So it's this, like, looks like, uh, looks like a Led Zeppelin album cover. You know, it's right. <laughs> not Led Zeppelin. It looks like a Pink Floyd album cover. Okay. It's all over the place here. And it's, it, once again, really brilliant fight scene. Then there's the battle with Green Goblin in Happy's apartment that kills Aunt May as a result of it. It's filmed and edited so well. And you can tell that Defoe and Tom Holland are doing a lot of their own stunts. It's actually one of the reasons that Willem Defoe came back for this film, because he said, I won't do it unless I can do all my own stunts. And you can tell it's him that's doing it. It's filmed so well. And then, as Dave said before, there is the big final battle with all the villains. And one thing that I really liked about this that normally pisses me off in films is when you have two or three different heroes fighting two or three different villains at the exact same time. It's simultaneously, the camera flips between all of them and look, all the heroes are being defeated. But hey, look, there's a bit of a turn, you know, the tides and now the heroes are actually coming out on top yeah. here. That it, re- it really pulls me out of the fight sequences and it really fucks me off. However, the final fight sequence here basically shows them try to do that fail then them come together the spider-men and say we need to do this we need to work as a team so they all decide to pick off the villains one by one it's filmed so much better it's so easier to watch and then there's a final fight sequence between tom holland spider-man and the green goblin 
And, you know, it starts off like shaky cam, which really annoys me again. But then it quickly turns into wide-angled, long, continuous shots of both the actors absolutely giving it their all. And it is filmed so brilliantly. And, it, you know, it's, it's a very, very good fight sequence as well. So all in all, the action and the comedy in this film are faultless. And it's everything that we've come to expect from an MCU film, but it's not just about the action. Okay, fair enough. Um, last thing, I suppose, is coming on to, like, the casting characters. Uh, you know, a bit of a problem potentially could be when you've got a lot of cooks spoiling the broth here. I mean, you've got many fine actors. So, I mean, I'd be surprised if your argument was going to be that they did a shit performance, Dave. But by all means, if they do, do let me know. But I could see how having three Spider-Men jostling for position. Why, you know, is is Tom Holland... How does it work? Are, are the actors generous? Or is there anyone who's trying to steal a scene? You know, you know, you could say that we could make, have a whole film where Willem Dafoe, and it was a great film, was the villain. So having him with a lot of other people, how does that work? Um, in terms of his performance, he's great. You know, Willem Dafoe actually does a very good job. And he, he came back strong. He was very good in Spider-Man 1. He's just as good as he ever was. You know, Willem Dafoe is a class act. And I'll say the same about Molina as well. After that, it starts getting a little a little hazier. In terms of generosity, I think the three Spider-Men, Maguire, Garfield, and Holland, actually work really well on screen together. Uh, no one is jostling for, for prime position. They're all kind of given their time in the spotlight, as it were. They're all given their time in the sun. But bear in mind that Garfield and Maguire don't really show up until the last 40 minutes, I'm going to say. You know, most of the film, it's, it's Holland on his own, and then they turn up at the end fully understanding exactly the predicament that Peter Parker is in and just like, no, no, no flies on them. It's no, oh, I, I'm traveling through the multiverse. Gotcha. Right. Here to help. It's like, <laughs> it's like brilliant. They're all smart right. guys, Dave. They're all, they're all they're yeah, brilliant a bit of a scientist scientists. myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the problem is, like you say, and it is inevitable when you try to include so much is that you feel a bit robbed. Performances from Defoe and Molina, you wish you'd see more from them i mean there's that fight scene with dr octopus on that on the freeway it's actually not a very long fight and then he's basically spends the rest of it kind of in captivity uh arguing with peter parker and having the mick taken out of him you know that's all it really comes down to the foe has a bit more substance to the character there's a bit more he, he gets to get his teeth into um i feel that some of the other villains jamie fox is basically just set up here as comic relief he is essentially the uh the one with the quips and the, the one-liners and it's like, that's not really what Electro is about. He could be quite a sinister villain, you know, in, in the Garfield films. Kind of gone backwards a little bit here. And I felt very ripped off um, with the advertisement of Reese fans and Thomas Hayden Church returning as the Lizard and Sandman, respectively. Uh, they're actually not in it, necessarily. Well, no, they are and they aren't. Uh, the CGI throughout. You remember how Sandman in Spider-Man 3 could, he, he took human form. Every yeah. now and again, and you could tell, you know, it was, it was Flint Marco. Was the, I think was his name. He was dressed like Andy Pandy, basically. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah the yeah, the green that. and black striped shirt, yeah. yeah like Charlie um, Brown. Yeah, Charlie Brown. <laughs> so yeah, he become, becomes human a bit. He doesn't become human at any point in this film until the very end when he's cured. Uh, the same is true for Reese fans. He's in CGI lizard form. So you got a man made of sand and the lizard wandering around, completely CGI'd. I think it's because Reese fans and Thomas Aiden Church actually didn't necessarily come back they've re-recorded lines for sure you know they've recorded all the dialogue and they're just doing voiceover for these cgi characters you only see their human forms at the very end as they are cured and then you know reset fans didn't get any lines i'm convinced that was archive footage that they've just recycled from from his previous outing in the spider-man film and i feel the same the more i think about it about thomas hayden church i think that is recycled footage from his time filming spider-man 3 bit of a ripoff really when i think about it you know these they're advertising including these new, these villains back and they're not back really they just sat in a studio and recorded some dialogue if you're listening reese fans and uh thomas hayden church and that that was your best performance we are sorry we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> dave does apologize for that because that would be i can imagine that's quite hurtful but no, right, what, what, what am i saying i said they should have gotten back they should have actually put, put their hands in the pocket sure. and got reese fans and thomas hayden church to turn up no, on set I'm just saying if it's possible that they did and that, that was their best shot of the day. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, you know what? They they haven't aged a day, is what I'm going to say on that one. Fair play, fair play. I can't they look believe just it. as good as they did back in the day. <laughs> they did digitally de-age Defoe and Molina yeah. uh, for this um, with variants, most, mostly successful. Um, but I, I don't know what's more unlikely, the fact that Risa fans and Thomas Hayden Church might be sitting down listening to this episode <laughs> or that they both think that 
Spider-Man No Way Home was their best performance of That's problem though. You, you know, it wasn't even a performance. They just they just read lines. And so I felt a bit ripped off with those two. And like I say, you know, the, the, the villains are just more quippy and the more funny than we remember. And there's no danger to them. There's not as much threat from these villains as there was before. And and you know, these were big villains back in the day. And it's just kind of like it's a reminder of what they were and how they'll never be again in many ways. So a bit, the villains are a bit toothless, Gav. I mean, where is the threat coming from here? But well, also, you know, it all seems a bit crowded and it seems crowded to the point where you've got some pretty big characters being squeezed out here, you know. Now, I, I, th- I think um, one of the arguments from the prosecution, if I remember correctly, during the Spider-Man 3 trial that we did, oh, was that it was too many cooks spoiling the broth because they tried to give all villains an equal amount of screen time. What they've done here is they've given the majority of it to the Green Goblin and then to uh, Dr. Octopus and then to a lesser extent, Electro. And then the Lizard and the Sandman are basically just in there to have redemption, basically to for the Spider-Men to cure them and to send them back home. And, and, and that's what that is. I would argue that Thomas Hayden Church and Risa Fons weren't really advertised as being in this film. If you look at all the promotional um, interviews for this film and in all of the adverts, it doesn't say, and starring Thomas Hayden Church and Risa Fons. In fact, at the end credits, they don't even appear at the end. They're just the, very... The, the marketing of this film is not on trial. The film itself. No, so all, all I'm going to say is that I didn't go in thinking like, oh yeah, Thomas Hayden Church is going to be in this and then feel disappointed at the end. It was just a nice addition that he was in there. I would also say that the argument about the villains being a bit toothless, I don't agree at all. This is maybe... Uh, well, the thing... Another thing that Dave mentioned before is about not giving enough time to the villains. They've had their time. They, they've had their individual films. When we think of... Alfred Molina as Dr. Octopus, we're going to remember Spider-Man 2. His inclusion in this film, Willem Dafoe's inclusion as the Green Goblin are more for the Spider-Men to get their redemption and for Tom Holland's Spider-Man to actually face some credible threats and to realise who he is, you know, resolve his identity struggle and get on the path that he needs to be. And the Green Goblin, as I said, not toothless at all. This is the probably the most intense villain he's ever faced. This one is actually responsible for the death of his Aunt May. We haven't seen the death of a character in a Spider-Man film before. We haven't seen a, a villain that could credibly kill Spider-Man. And the Green Goblin deals an absolutely devastating blow to, to Tom Holland's Spider-Man. But as I said, this is about Tom Holland's Spider-Man. You know, this is a Spider-Man that has maybe been the best and most realistic portrayal as an awkward teenager and you know he's also been wholly choose, believable choose your next words very wait wait wait, wait, wait listen 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 well, I, I i genuinely don't think i am like so he's i'm a judge i'm he's, telling you he's <laughs> been the most believable in his depiction of like a lovable cheeky and quirky spider-man that side of the character that we know and because of the because of the actor's history of dance and gymnastics, he's also probably been the most authentic with his stunt work and his actual superhero side of the character. Mm. I mean, have you ever seen the behind the scenes footage of Tom Holland actually doing the stunts? You would never in a fucking million years get Tobey Maguire doing that. And I, I listen, I love Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man. I think Spider-Man 2 is one of the best films ever made. And yes. I actually really like Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man as well. But Tom Holland as the superhero action side of things yeah. is the best without a doubt but one aspect that perhaps has not been widely tested is conveying the emotional depth of the character as he struggles with loss he covers that in spades here his performance is fucking brilliant the scenes in which he loses his aunt may and then has his subsequent battles to accept the loss and take responsibility for it and then also his final battle with the green goblin where he almost lets his rage beat him and murder the Green Goblin. It's absolutely phenomenal. And I strongly believe that with this performance, he might actually change your opinion on who is the best Spider-Man. We'll have to see. But, you know, you've also got Zendaya, brilliant once again as MJ. Uh, Alfred Molina and Willem Dafoe, once again, show why it's going to be pretty much impossible to ever recast the characters of Dr. Octopus and Green Goblin. They both deliver fantastic performances. And then you've got Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire. 
They both look like they could put the suit back on tomorrow and still believably portray renditions of their characters, or albeit in different stages of their life. They both deliver great performances. Garfield in particular delivers one of the most emotional speeches of the entire film when he talks about being unable to save Gwen Stacy and the path of destruction that that led him down. And as I mentioned before, it's so satisfying as a fan to finally get resolutions to their characters after so many years. All in all, all of the performances, there's so many of them that so many do an amazing job and I haven't gone into half as much detail as they deserve, but the, all the performances, I can't fault a single one of them, to be honest. Lovely, lovely stuff. Okay, I feel like I do have most of what I need to come to a judgment on here. So I would like some any final points and just final wrap-up arguments from you, starting with you, Dave. Yeah, not much to say that I haven't already said. You know, this looked good. This was a really tantalizing trailer. You know, the marketing, you know, it's a good job that's not on trial because the marketing has been top-notch. They've really sold this film well. And unfortunately, the substance just isn't there. It's a convoluted plot that doesn't actually make any sense when you start breaking it down. Character motivations as well start to wane a little. You don't really understand why we've had to unravel these knots. They were tied up. We didn't need resolution to a great deal of this. Some people may disagree. I think most people were happy where the films ended. Now we're untying it. Now we're unraveling it. And we're trying to tie them back together again. It's not going to stick. You know, I, do, I don't think this is the end. I don't think this is resolution. I think they're going to keep teasing and tantalizing and setting up the next thing. and going to be merging more franchises together and bringing in the next one. And it's just how the MCU machine is rolling now. But this doesn't necessarily mean that this is a hit. Sure, it keeps the machine going. And it's brought Sony back in. You know, Sony are probably going to make a great deal of money with people trying to rent the old Spider-Man films now to see the Tobey Maguire ones again, to see the Andrew Garfield ones again. But there's a motive behind this. And although they've masked it as fan service and, you know, appeasing fans and maybe giving a couple of the fans what they wanted, this isn't for everybody. And at the end of the day, you can't make a film purely about an Easter egg. You can't make a film purely about in-jokes and old references and nudges. You've got to have something solid. You've got to keep things progressing and moving forward. And this film takes multiple steps back. Yeah. I don't think this film takes any steps back. This film takes leaps and bounds going forward. It had the unenviable task that's, of... That's, that's completely opposite to what Dave just said. Exactly. Completely opposite. How did we have two completely polarizing... <laughs> that's the exact opposite of what Dave just said. What are you doing? <laughs> no. But like, this has the unenviable task of wrapping up Holland's first Spider-Man arc, but also resolving arcs and storylines for two other Spider-Man franchises, in addition to setting up countless other stories and events. And it absolutely delivers. It brings all of the action, comedy, well-written storylines and dialogue and special effects that we've come to expect from the MCU, but also brings a lot of emotional depth as well. It's not just for fans, this is for everybody. But if you're a fan of any Spider-Man iteration, you are going to fucking love this film because it does absolutely wonders for the character in the MCU and as a character in whole. This film had one of the most highly anticipated releases of all time, maybe even one of the most highly anticipated releases of the 21st century. It broke the records for the trailer, the amount of trailers uh, views on YouTube. In its debut weekend alone, it made an incredible global box office take of $587 million, which is not just a record for box offices in COVID era, but it's also the third biggest global debut of all time, trailing only behind the two most recent Avengers films. I think this film is absolutely incredible. It's a film that for fans that absolutely everybody can enjoy, and I defy even the most cold, cynical, Sean Connery-loving cinema-goer to not love this film. <laughs> well, we will see, won't we? Um, that was extremely positive stuff. Gav, my God, uh, like wow, we're really passionate stuff. I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna do a quiz now and like give you a bit of time to get your trousers back on <laughs> and just compose yourself a little bit. <laughs> but it was, uh, it was wow, I mean, stirring stuff. Uh, I felt like I should have got up and saluted you a little bit towards the end. There. It was <laughs> wonderful. This is uh, this is a quiz, very simply, all about spiders in films. Okay, Ooh. ten questions. Um, first one. What is the name of the huge spider in Lord of the Rings? Oh. Um, Dave? It's uh, Shelob. It is Shelob. Well done, well done Dave. Dave. Very good. Number two, what year did the fantastic film Arachnophobia come out? Oh, 1988. Mm. I'm going to say 1997. Oh, Gav is closer. It came out in 1990. 
Um, it is. Uh, I haven't seen it since it came out as well. No, I must have. I must have been a bit older than three <laughs> to remember it. But I, that sounds uh, like me territory. <laughs> no, I know, I know. I do. I do absolutely love that film. But I do remember this bit, and I wanted to ask it. It's a hard question, so I'm going to give you three points for this one. Does anyone remember how Jeff Daniels kills the final spider right at the end? Yeah. What's the satisfying conclusion to that? Yeah, there doesn't. He sets it on fire. Yeah. And the spider's running around on fire, screaming, yeah. and then it jumps at him, and he pulls out a nail gun, and he shoots it. The nail goes through the spider, flaming into the nest, and the whole thing bursts. Into Fantastic. Place. I'm not just giving him three points. I'm going to give him an extra point for the description as well. <laughs> fabulous. It's four points to Dave on that one. Oh, well, it seems like an uphill challenge for me now. <laughs> it does. Yeah, it does. Um, number Question number four. On whose face does the tarantula land in Home Alone? Bam. Uh, Daniel Stern. Yes. Is. Harry? Oh, I'm going to take Marv. a point away because it's, it's Marv. Marv. <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn. Um, so close. <laughs> question five. In which Bond film does he wake up with the tarantula on him? Um, One of the shit Sean Connery ones, isn't he? How dare you? It's Doctor No. <laughs> it is Doctor No. <laughs> and it's maybe not the best Sean Connery one, but it's not bad either. <laughs> um, although I have to say that spider bit. Like now, when you look at it, it's so clearly he's like there's a glass in front of him as he's looking <laughs> down in it, and a wig on his head. All right, Kevin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, question six: uh, In Raiders of the Lost Ark, which actor had a shitload of spiders climbing up his back right at the beginning? Bob. Out. Oh, Dave. Dave. Alfred Molina. It is Alfred Molina from this film. Uh, it always surprises me for some reason. I always forget it. A bit like Samuel Jackson in Jurassic Park. It's always like, oh yeah. Alfred Molina's in this film. Well, apparently, he only appears in films where there's spiders. <laughs> Written into his contract. Yeah, yeah. In Chocolat, there's little, <laughs> little spiders that he sort of released in the scene. Yeah. And if there isn't one in the film, he'll keep one in his pocket for good luck. <laughs> and just he'll know. Uh, okay, um, bit of a, a daft question, this one, and probably one for Gav, possibly. Because I imagine he's probably got this in his DVD collection. What is the premise of the shite franchise <laughs> Lava, uh, Lava Lanchulas films? Uh, Lava I'm going to guess that like a dormant volcano erupts and a bunch of prehistoric spiders come spewing out of it. I'm going to give you a point for that. They are indeed volcanic fire-breathing spiders. And it has Steve Gutenberg in it as well. Oh, Steve. To... I know, I know. <laughs> you should see the... It was about three films, and I think it's awesome. I'd love to see Dave... that crossover film. Three men, a, <laughs> three men and a lava spewing spider. <laughs> the, the, there is a shot when you're watching Steve being an action man, and, and really Dave's reaction is you are like, oh, Steve. Oh, Steve. Did you, did, did you get divorced or did something bad happen to you? Did you need... Once again, did you need another apology on the cards. <laughs> <laughs> we keep knocking them out, Gav keeps apologising for them. What is the fairly uns pretty uninspired name of the spider in James and the Giant Peach? Bam. Dave? Is it is it spider? No, not quite, but you're very oh, close. Is it arachnid? No. Is Dave, it Miss, Mrs. Spider? It's Miss Spider. I'll, uh, <laughs> Miss spider. I can't give you I can't give you the point though, Dave. You said Mrs. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, the, <laughs> the next one, uh, question nine. Who played Charlotte in 2006? Charlotte's Web. Um, Go on, sorry. Is it Julia Roberts? It is Julia Roberts. Very well done, Dave. Also, I actually read Charlotte's Web out to my class, and there is a line in it where it's talking about Avery uh, coming home from fishing and how much he loved having a warm, stiff trout in his pocket <laughs> ready to be fried for supper, which I wasn't expecting. <laughs> and I, just started, I started like howling with laughter and couldn't read it. Couldn't read it. And then, like, you know, the kids were just like, what's funny? What's funny? And I just had to wait about four days to carry on reading it so they didn't make a connection between that and, and, and what, what, was, what came out. Oh. Not good. Not a good book. Number 10. No, sorry. It is a very good book, but not that bit. Number 10. Final question. Which infamously piece of shit film features a mechanical spider right at the end? Bam. Dave, wild, wild go. west. Wiki, wiki, wild, wild it west. Wiki, wiki, wild, wild Jim west. west. Desperado. <laughs> something, something, no, you don't want one. Not of this. It's got of this brother loving this buffalo soldier. Look, it's like a. Why do I know the lyrics of Wild, Wild West? I don't know, Gav. Put it. Put Gav. 
You just won the quiz because of it. Well done, <laughs> Dave was way in the lead with the actual points from the quiz, and then right at the end, you stole it. So well done, Gareth. Okay, yeah, shit, it's me. Um, okay. So I've had a little bit of time to collect my thoughts. I'm just going to go through a few points. Uh, you know, a big point I had a big, uh, at the beginning was these convenient spells, and they are convenient spells, but really it's an MCU film. So even though there's potholes, I kind of don't give a shit. I think it's annoying that possibly these are very dramatic spells and I'd imagine Spider-Man would be saying to Doctor Strange, could there just be a spell where you just do what I ask and not, you know, something, <laughs> something really sad happens to me. But fair enough. Uh, that's kind of just the plot holes, isn't it? So I wasn't too bothered. Your fan service, I, I think you could you could sort of say the entire MCU franchise is fan service and I would maybe agree that that is annoying, but a lot of people apparently don't and they love it. So... Saying that an MCU film is fan service does seem like that's what an MCU film is. So I don't have that much of an issue. The way it was a fan service, yeah, it does sound a bit, but they did try something different with the different Spider-Men. And to try and, you know, to, to try and make fans happy and you know, bring resolution on those two films, it does seem like it wasn't a complete train wreck. So I'm gonna give it props for that. And I can see why a film that brought in that many different characters would need two and a half hours so even though i'm often against the two and a half hour film it does seem like there might be a reason for it here when you're bringing in all these different uh, characters the action i don't think that there is something an action piece like i watched spider-man 2 recently and i just think the action in that is fantastic because it's low key like the train sequence i think that's one of the best spider-man action sequences ever but again i think i'm out of step with people on this like people love the huge scale action might not be memorable, but at the time it's like just popcorn. People can't get enough of it. And it does seem like we haven't had this sort of huge scale action. We've got all these different people since Infinity War and, you know, that and that, you know, the uh, what's the last one called Endgame. Mm. So it does seem like they've sort of tried to try to do something, give for fans something pretty huge and epic. You need to see more of the actors, but that's always maybe a good thing, I think. And it does seem like even though the villains were, uh, you know, you had they didn't have much of Reese fans and Electro, I would say they're weaker. So I'm glad that they did that in a sense, because it seems like that would be the sensible thing to do. You know, um, Norman Osborn and Doc Ock are the best ones, so they should be given. Then I can see why they would then go down to the, who is it? Sorry, after that, the who's the other good one? Lizard. <laughs> Lizard and Sandman, Electro, Lizard and Sandman. Yeah. So I can see why they would stagger it a bit like that. So I actually think, I think Dave did a very good job, but I actually think Dave might really like this film, if I'm honest. And I think this might be an extremely good film. So I'm actually going to put this on the, I'm going to definitely put this on the hit list. Normally I'm a bit torn, but I think this is a, a solid hit and I'm really looking forward to watching it. Thank you very much, Alex, uh, for your verdict there. Thank you very much, Dave. Honest opinions then. So I'll start. I 100% agreed with everything that I said. There were several times in this film that I actually wanted to stand up and cheer out loud or applaud. I bet you did. Yeah, <laughs> honestly, I, I had to be restrained. <laughs> but like, there's also like several times in the film that I almost found myself crying. And I, I know that I say this all the time, I cry at anything these days, so that's not a very good barometer. But the fact that you're, I, I was feeling that much emotion from such a big action film, it's, it's, it, it says so much about the film itself. It's got so much heart and spirit in addition to all the comedy and the action as well. It's everything that you could possibly want from a Spider-Man film, I think, and absolutely more. I absolutely loved it, and I'm going to go and see it again this week. So, wow. Yeah. Uh, genuine opinions then, Dave? Easter egg full of mice. No, I'm kidding. I absolutely <laughs> loved it. Absolutely loved it. <laughs> you've, yeah. made the, you've made the right call, Alex. I didn't have much to criticize on this one. I just kind of picked something up off the ground and ran with it. It's brilliant. It's absolutely superb. Uh, performances are fantastic. It's great to see these characters back. And there are resolutions, of course, there are. There are a lot of loose ends that need to tie up here. And, and they've done a fantastic job. Uh, everyone, you know, at Sony, at Marvel, at Disney should be very happy with themselves. They've done a spellbinding job with this one pun intended and yeah it's 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 one of the best superhero films i think they've ever made uh, i think it's going to go down as such as well and i think people uh will see this as yeah the, the end of of all three eras of spider-man you know tom holland may get another bite of the apple yet remains to be seen but uh it's a very satisfying conclusion 
as well. And uh, yeah, action was great. You know, they clearly spared no expense with the CGI. There's a lot of CGI, but as long as it's done well, and you know, looking at the kind of film this is, it's totally understandable. It's there. The script is funny. Genuinely, I I was laughing at some of the lines in the script. You know, when Doctor Strange is telling him about you got to go round up all these people that have come through from other universes. Like, oh, oh, there was a guy on the bridge. He looked like uh, a flying green elf or something. It's like, well, he sounds jolly. Go get him first. (laughs) I I love, I love the lines in this. Uh, The script was great. Performances were great. Really well delivered. Like I've said, real emotion to it as well. Uh, To some of the villains and to some of the heroes, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And for some of the younger fans of MCU who maybe aren't as familiar with Garfield and Maguire, they will be now. And they should be. So, yeah. uh, yeah, it's it's done a great job. Brilliant film. So, uh, yeah, it, it's it's brilliant. Anyway, so higher or lower than our previous film on trial. Ooh, here we go. West Side Story, which garnered 93% critical and 84% audience scores on Rotten Tomatoes. Because it's the first week, I think this might be out of like that insane high score. So I'm not sure if you can really... Mm-hmm. I'd say it's insanely high. Maybe about the same, but yeah, I wouldn't um... say... I'm going with my golden rule. Everything comes out of yeah. the gate strong. And there's okay. no exception, sure. Oh well, yeah, there's no exception. It may be the highest film that we've ever rated. 94% critical and 99% audience score. Wow. <laughs> See, there's that 1% there's of one. fans who, who <laughs> opened their tin of paint and found, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop that. They were like, what? <laughs> what? No, Why isn't there I... any more Thomas Hayden Church in this film? <laughs> I do I do feel like you should bring up the, the paint tins full of mice more, Dave. It was uh, it's yeah. an unusual analogy, but I, I, I enjoyed it because of that. Yeah, I started the analogy and didn't know where I was going with it. So I was like, uh, uh, with mice? <laughs> Why not? Uh, so, yeah, not, nothing else to add here, basically, just to say thank you very much, everyone, for your arguments and for your judgments. And uh, to thank you, everybody who's listened to this episode. We really do appreciate you listening to this episode. If you did like this and you want to check out more Films on Trial content, check out our website, filmsontrial.co.uk, or check us out on any streaming platform. Check us out on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter, Films on Trial. So we're going to have a little break so we can enjoy our Christmases and I don't have to do lots of editing. But we are going to be directly back in your ears on January the 17th when we're going to be reviewing the new Matrix film, The Matrix Resurrections. So once again, another big blockbuster film that's hopefully going to tie up lots of storylines and plot details from a franchise that's nearly 20 years old or older. Uh, so yeah really look forward to that one guys hopefully you can join us there so that is it spider-man no way home is a hit and we're going to be in your ears and in your eyes we're going to (laughs) be we're going to be all over your body like a big bunch of spiders uh, on january the 17th with the matrix resurrections thank you all goodbye Yeah, I mean, you asked if I was down with the kids, you know, if I'm cool, but I'm wearing a Def Leppard t-shirt. No, I am, I am not down with the kids. Yeah. As soon as she said, hey, Dave, how hip are you? Dave got really excited because he was like, finally, a Huey Lewis reference on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs>